Welcome to the Silicon Slopes Conversations. We're here with Alan Matheson, who is the executive director of The Point, which is the short version for? The Point of the Mountain State Land Authority. There's a little mouthful. Yes, and it's just uh, north as the crow flies a couple miles. Well, listen, it's, uh, it's an honor to be on the stage with you. I appreciate this opportunity and uh, all of your interest. Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, I think a lot of people are familiar that there's a prison at the point of the mountain between like Provo and Salt Lake City and that it's being relocated to um, out by the airport um, and that uh, it's a lot of property um, and that things will be changing and looking different. So give us an overview of the project, uh, maybe hit on some timelines, and then um, kind of a primer for what the plans are in the future, and then I'll ask some follow-up questions. Great. Well, as I was driving down here, I live in Sandy and drove past the prison site on my way and kind of looked over and was realizing that a year from now, things are going to look a lot different. Much of uh, the property will be changed, the buildings will be gone, and we'll be getting ready for uh, site prep and infrastructure. So you know that currently we've got that Utah State Prison occupying the site, 608 acres, and shortly it'll be a blank canvas on which we can create a community of the future. It's a remarkable opportunity. The process is overseen by the point of the Mountain State Land Authority, 11 board members, including Lieutenant Governor, four legislators, a couple of mayors, heads of some state agencies, commissioner of higher education, and uh, private sector real estate expertise. But working very closely with the public, we're trying to do something that will be of broad public benefit. This is state-owned site. That means all of us as residents of Utah are co-owners of the site. We've all got a stake in the outcome, and we feel keenly the responsibility to make sure that at the end of the day there's a return to the residents of the state. Now return comes in different forms. Certainly it's uh, an economic return, but beyond that we think there's got to be a quality of life return. Uh, I think all of us are feeling the effects of growth. You know, Utah's a great place to live. We've got a great quality of life. We've uh, got an outstanding economy, and as a result, we've been the fastest growing state in the country over the last 10 years. But I think many are saying, what does that mean? How do we preserve the things we value most, the things that uh, uh, really add to quality of life here as we grow? And the reality is that you don't stop growth without making it a place that nobody wants to be. So the real solution is thinking about how we grow. Can we grow in thoughtful ways that preserve our environment, that uh, continue to provide opportunities for our young people? And so that's the goal. Uh, just quickly on the timeline, uh, we expect that the inmates will be moved to the new facility next summer, probably start the demolition of the site in about August or September. That'll go into early 2023. Then we'll start putting in backbone infrastructure, some of the main roads, the utilities, uh, the initial open space program. And then we hope that uh, kind of by the end of 2024, early 2025, you'll start seeing some vertical development going in. Very cool. And um, 
I don't envy your job um, because uh, everyone's got an idea on how to uh, develop this, right? And um, we're, we've been involved in it in various forms since kind of the beginning. And then informally, people might assume we were in, involved in it, but conversations come up constantly of um, there should be a convention center. There should be, and the reality is most of the ideas are very good because I think people selfishly want something, um, whether it's they want Vivint to move down so the jazz play in the middle of the valley instead of downtown Salt Lake. Anyways, it's fun to listen to all the ideas. That's the easy part. Um, but you guys, with the committee and the board and the working groups, have to actually do the work, listen to it all. There's going to be people that miss out, some that get what they want. What frameworks did you guys put in place to make this accessible to all as far as ideas and projects and having a voice at the table? Now, that's been critical. And I think, number one, I don't trust myself to do this right. So getting a lot of good input is going to be really critical. This really concept started many, many years ago. But from about 2016 to 2018, a group called the Point of the Mountain Development Commission conducted with Envision Utah a number of public processes to identify ideas and values for the point of the mountain region. And at the end of the day, they put together a report that had 10 or 12 guiding principles that they thought should help guide growth in that broader region. It's really interesting to note that the legislature took those guiding principles and put them verbatim into the statute that created the Point of the Mountain State Land Authority. So our marching orders come directly from public input, and it's things like job creation, workforce development, improving air quality, reducing resource use, having world-class transit, uh, focusing on quality of life, pursuing a nationally recognized research center and, and uh, things of that nature. So when we got the torch to take this forward, we recognized that public input wasn't done. So we created a stakeholder advisory group that represents various portions of our community. And we created five working groups, really uh, groups of experts in our state to help us think through things like land use and transportation, innovation, uh, education, economic development, investment, uh, and more. And we actually went to Silicon Slopes and said, we need your help. We want some folks that can represent your community, that can bring uh, a focus on not just high tech, but economic development, business, creative thinkers, people that care about the future of our state and want them to be part of the, the group. And so in total, we had you know, over 80 uh, individuals on those working groups. And they identified a number of kind of planning pillars that we should pursue. Uh, we've, over the last year, had over 10,000 Utah residents participate in one way or another in uh, providing input to the site. And yes, not all, all ideas are the same. But I think at the end of the day, while we certainly can't guarantee everybody will be happy, I think we can say uh, really honestly and sincerely that we know the priorities that people have and we're doing our very best to meet those priorities. And all of those planning principles were 
submitted to our planning team and provided the, the raw materials for them to translate values and concepts into to an actual on-the-ground plan. Let's talk uniqueness because in all of the world there's not very many projects like this. 600 acres um, in a vibrant economy, well-run state, um, and to your point, blank canvas. Um, what have you guys done to piggyback off other good ideas that are similar projects? Um, what other uh, agencies and folks from around the world have you guys asked for advice and help with as you guys do this? Yeah, you know, I think when I took this job, I was excited. Um, but I don't think I realized what an opportunity it was. And I found out a little bit more since then how unique it is. And you think about having, as you say, this blank slate of 600 acres between two of the fastest growing metropolitan regions of the country in a fast growing, vibrant state, served well by existing transportation and future transportation. Beautiful setting, looking up at the mountains. And then we highlight every time how close this is, or being right in the heart of Silicon Slopes. And the work that all of you are doing is really critical to making this a place that's interesting and viable and, and uh, that people are paying attention to. So it's, it's a remarkable opportunity. The challenge is, how do you take advantage of it? And didn't want to start totally from scratch, so we did look at analog projects all around the country and around the world. And there's not one that we say, we want to be like that. But I think we've pulled ideas from a number of different ones on how you create you know, a high-tech or biotech community, how you do internal autonomous circulators, uh, how you create the right mix that attracts the kind of talent that we want. And so we've drawn on, on those, uh, those lessons, uh, both good and bad. Yeah. I mean, I, I live in a house that's 60 years old, and um, it's different uh, doing repairs and add-ons versus blank slate. Um, so in addition to the blank slate, you also have all this confluence of technology and construction equipment, smart cities, um, you know, adapters and uh, pollution control, like all this cool uh, technology, you now get actually uh, apply directly to a new project instead of like bolting it on and it's like a square peg round hole. Um, what are some of the cool um, technology features that will help with sustainability of pollution using less uh, resources, that type of thing? Yeah, and it's changing all the time, which makes it that much harder. We can make decisions today, and by the time construction starts, there will be new options. But this has been designed as Utah's first intentional 15-minute city. It's kind of a planning idea that is taking off across the, the world. The idea is that you can access the things you need in your day-to-day -day life uh, within a 15-minute walk. And as we think about some of the challenges we face in Utah, uh, building communities that allow us to get away from the car a little bit, have more convenience, uh, improve our, our health, uh, create more of a sense of community, all of that's important. So the design of this site is interesting because it does create this notion of 
mixed use and walkability. Uh, we've, we're also doing a number of deep dive studies now that are looking in depth at smart cities and sustainability and smart mobility, saying what are the best technologies that are available around the world. And we're dividing them into kind of good, better, best categories with associated costs so that we can take them to our board and say, given limited resources, where can we get the best return on our public investment in terms of all of these areas? So let me just point out a few things. We're all concerned about transportation and traffic at the site. Uh, so we're going to have high-quality transit going through, and we're working with UTA and UDOT on that, working with UDOT on new uh, freeway construction, road construction that will help. But within the site, we'll also have an internal circulator system that will get you within a five-minute walk of any place on the site. And a series of mobility hubs, so you can access a car share program there or an electric bike or a scooter and get around. There are greenways throughout the site that will allow you to get anywhere on the site without getting on a road. Uh, we are looking at an app system, mobility as a service, where you can get on the app and see when the next transportation mode is going to be there what the costs are, how you can move from one place to another most inexpensively and, and quickly, uh, you know, what you're doing in terms of air quality. And all of this is designed to create what we call a one-car community. doesn't mean you can't have more than one, but maybe you have a car for your weekend trips or someone in the household that needs to commute, but you won't need it. So we're doing that, uh, that kind of study right now. On the sustainability side, Water's a big issue. So we've got strategies that we're looking at with technology and, uh, and uh, you know, uses and construction types that will decrease potable water use on the site. It's 50 to 70% below typical development. A uh, lot of renewable energy. There's a geothermal resource at the site. And we plan to tap into that uh, as a way to supplement the heating in the area. Uh, smart city technologies, again, that help with wayfinding, uh, help with convenience and safety. So, again, decisions haven't been made because the board's got to work through the real detail of what's available and, and what does it cost and can it work. But it's exciting that, as you say, we can start from the beginning and try to do it right from the beginning. Yeah. All right, if, I don't know if you're a betting man or if you're not, but if you were a betting man, what would you bet is going to be a part of this development and what would you bet is not going to be a part of it? You know, I was up at the legislature last year and within five minutes I had three people come up and tell me what this site ought to be. And one said, all electric city of the future. He was from Rocky Mountain Power. And uh, one said... Disneyland, Utah. And I started thinking about Splash Mountain in January, going down there. But, uh, and another said, all agriculture. That was a representative of the Farm Bureau. Uh, not all of those will be part of it. Some of it might be. Um, so uh, this is going to be mixed use. There's going to be housing, a range of housing types there. We want it to be a community where those who work there, 
at all levels and types can live there. There will be um, an innovation district. The legislature has funded the beginnings of that. The idea is it'll be a place where there can be cutting edge research performed by industry and our higher education institutions. Those ideas can be nurtured through accelerators and incubators. There'll be worker space, maker space, uh, you know, labs, et cetera, and then mentoring and help to commercialize those ideas, all with the goal of creating new business opportunities, but also solving some of the problems in our community. So that'll be there. Uh, there'll be uh, business headquarter offices there, schools, neighborhoods, a lot of open space. One quarter of the site is open space, and it includes uh, a river deranged parkway that will connect the Jordan River Parkway Trail to the regional trails east of I-15. And I love this thought that you're, you, know, you work uh, the morning, come down at lunchtime, jump on your mountain bike, ride on a, a bridge across I-15, do some loops in uh, Corner Canyon, and get back for an afternoon of work. Uh, so open space recreation is a big part of it. And there's this aspirational goal among municipalities in the country to have a park within a 10-minute walk of every resident. And at this site, we're going to have uh, a park and open space within a two-minute walk of every resident and employee. So that's a big uh, piece of it as well. But Yeah. Well, it sounds like... Uh a lot of things have been factored in, and because uh, I've heard, you know, there should be skyscrapers, and uh, but you know, to the point I made earlier, like if it's just the person's intent, it should be agriculture, Splash Mountain, or all electric. Um, and over the years, as we met with folks, whether it's mayors or the legislature, um, I always joke, I will yeah, great. I wonder how many people are going to go to prison for this because, like, they really want what they want. And you know what happens when that occurs. They sometimes uh, do nefarious things. But uh, um, we're going to open it up to questions in a few minutes, by the way. So if you've got questions for Alan about the project, what their plans are, uh, get those ready to go. Um, on, the, on your guys' website, you have project and development proposals, right? Uh, what are those... What are those? What are they? How are they different? What's the difference between project and development proposal, and how are those working within uh, your guys's group and process and systems? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, process is a big deal, and we've we've heard a lot of interest from various groups that would like to be part of this site. And so, um, we don't want it to be first come first serve. Uh, we want it to be a thoughtful process to create the benefits we've talked about. Last month, we. Uh, issued an RFQ, RFP to the development community with the intent of hiring a master development team to take on phase one of the project. And that's going to be a multi-month, uh, detailed, open, transparent, competitive process in two stages. Uh, the first stage is uh, on February 2nd, we're expecting to receive applications and based on uh, early interest shown in a pre-proposal meeting we held. Uh, we think that there will be many applicants from around the country and locally. Some of the top developer names uh, in the world and uh, here in Utah. 
will then go through uh, a sifting process and, and get down to a final, I don't know, say three to five based on some interviews and their, their background. And by the way, as we evaluate this, we're looking for experience, expertise, capacity, financial capability, but we're also looking for passion. We want a development team that cares about Utah as much as we do, and that cares about this project and its success. We're going to ask of these developers more than they would uh, be asked in a typical development. Some enhancements that provide quality of life benefits that uh, may be a little bit tougher to, to build and finance, and so we're going to work with them. We want it to be profitable for them. But that's, that's an element. So anyway, then we go to stage two, and that's a two or three month process of diving into uh, formulas for, uh, for how they, uh, we finance the project, uh, changes to the design, et cetera. So once we have a development partner in place, they're going to be primarily responsible for fielding ideas, working with project proponents, getting approval from the board to do projects. We also knew that there would be some opportunities that might come along before then. And so a year ago, we developed a process, put it on our website, uh, publicized it a little bit so that individual projects can propose to come in uh, independently of that phasing process. And uh, actually, uh, at our board meeting earlier this week, we had the first of those proposals present. It's an interesting, uh, ambitious life science campus. And so uh, that's, that's kind of a separate process, and we're going to start working that into the bigger development process. More detail than you wanted, but... Uh, oh, that's... Because if you're a developer, this is... A, unique, probably once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. If you like building stuff, this doesn't happen very often where um, you get to use the latest and greatest and do it in a, in a setting that's, you know, you're not building a new island out in the middle of the Arabian Peninsula to build an airport, right? Like, this is probably a little bit more fun. Margins are a little bit better. Um, so is there, you know, like, for bigger construction projects, usually a general contractor, and then they subcontract it out. Is that not how you guys are going to do it? You, you guys are going to have more control over the process? Well, um, let me take a step back before I answer that. <clears throat> there are a number of ways that we could go about doing this project. And one concept is you put up a for sale sign, sell to the highest bidder, and they build what they want. And that's a legitimate approach. So far, the legislature has said, no, we want to have a hand in doing this so that we can reflect the public input and fulfill the public vision. And uh, by the way, the, the Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah is doing a study right now comparing the fiscal and economic impacts of those two scenarios. And they've got some early numbers. I'm a little hesitant to, to share them all, but. Uh, I'll tell you what we've got subject to change, so with that caveat. The baseline, selling off to the highest bidder and it builds consistently with what's going on in the market, um, creates you know, maybe about 5,000 jobs, which is big, maybe up to 5,800 jobs. With the vision that we've created, 47,000 jobs. If you look at uh, wages and payroll, 
It's five times more under the vision. If you look at gross domestic product contributed to the state, goes from 1.2 billion in the baseline to 6.9 billion in the, the framework plan. So uh, we think that there is value in uh, having the state involved to ensure that the vision is accomplished. On the other hand, the state's not a developer. We, you know, we shouldn't be over, you know, overseeing this other than conceptually. So we do want partners that will come in and uh, you know, bring their expertise, help us improve the plan, and actually build it out. We expect there will be some master developers, a lot of subs. We expect there will be different developers for different phases. So many opportunities to participate. Yeah. And has anyone done any numbers on what it would cost to buy 600 acres at the point of the mountain if it was just for sale? Generally, but those land values are changing. And, and the fact is the land value depends on what you're going to do with it. So it would be different for different groups. Gotcha. Very cool. All right, let's open it up for questions from the audience. We have a microphone in the back. Just raise your hand. Don't be shy. Who's got the next great idea for what we should do? Oh, boy. Alan, thanks for coming today. really appreciate it. I'm really curious how the point is going to address transportation, because that's probably one of my biggest concerns when you're talking about that many people. And part of that involves the on and off ramps there at Bangor, as well as with I-15. But I'm also curious about how tracks and front runner fit into that. Has, have you and your colleagues addressed that or thought about those things? Of course you've thought about them. What are you thinking right now? Yeah, thanks for the question. And I, I touched on a lot of that before, but let me get into a little more detail. The first step is to reduce the off-site traffic generation. So the way we design the site, and by having a residential as well as a, an employment base, you create more of an opportunity for people to live, work, and play on the site and minimize the, the need to go off-site. That's part of it. Uh, Utah Department of Transportation is now working on a number of potential designs for the area between SR92 here and uh, Bangadar. And it includes one-way frontage roads similar to what you see just outside here. Um, that has a significant impact on the modeled traffic impacts. So there will be upgrades there. With respect to transit, the plan right now is to bring transit from the Draper Front Runner Station over Bangadar through our site, have a couple of stations at the point, then take it over I-15 to the east side of the freeway, down the existing right-of-way and here into Lehigh and connect up with the Utah County project. So transit's a, a huge deal here. It's a big deal for transportation. It's a big deal for convenience. It's a big deal for recruiting the kinds of talent and companies that we want to have there. So we've, we've, uh, there's still studies going on, and they're about to jump into what they call the environmental study to get into more of the engineering on the site. But uh, there's a commitment to make it what they call gold standard uh, transit. 
Hi, so I live off 146, the exit over here, and it seems like we're the only exit in all of Salt Lake and Utah County that doesn't have all the exact same stores and restaurants, you know, I feel like they're all pretty identical. So how do you foresee this development and, and what's going to be off of that exit um, being similar or different to what we typically see um, in the other areas in Utah? Well, we, of course, don't have any control on what happens off of the site, and so a lot of that is within Bluffdale. But we've had uh, a number of conversations with Bluffdale about creating a gateway into that state property, uh, so a place that is a little distinctive. And, you know, ultimately, the, the Bluffdale uh, City Council will be making those decisions, but I don't want it to be cookie-cutter. I want it to be distinctive and, a, and, again, a place we can be proud of. So that's going to be a community-wide discussion. Ellen, I know you're the consummate professional and a skilled negotiator. I'm just wondering, with so many stakeholders, how are you going to arrive at a, a, a comprehensive consensus on what it should look like? I know there are lots of interests and lots of different individuals, but just interested in that process, how you're going to achieve it. Yeah, well, isn't that the question, Eric? I don't know. I, I ask myself that uh, a lot. And the reality is that we've just got to accept that there's not going to be broad consensus. There will be some that are not happy with what happens there. As some have said, they want it to be a 600-acre regional park. And that just doesn't pencil out, and it's not consistent with the direction we've received. Um, but there can be a significant park component. And uh, so I think that there's going to be kind of something for everybody there. We ultimately, the board's going to have to make some tough decisions. And uh, let me give you a little insight into how those decisions might be made. First of all, I talked about what the legislature has told us to do. And those are a lot of competing demands that we have to balance. I think there's general support for the vision and the, the framework plan we've created. But the board said early on, we've got some guiding principles that are going to guide our decision making. Number one is promote the public interest. There are a lot of, uh, lot of individual interests that would like to have a piece of this, and we get that, and they're going to be involved, but ultimately this has to serve the public interest. Then we talk about uh, setting the standard. We want this to be a model for future development. One of the ways this can benefit the whole state is by showing how these concepts can be implemented profitably so that other developers can follow them. And we've got think regionally. So rather than looking just within the 600 acres of the site, we have to think about what this does to the broader region, how we fit in with other communities' plans, how transportation works. Then take the long view is another one. Rather than trying to just build it as fast as we can today, we can be a little bit patient because the state doesn't have quarterly revenue uh, requirements and goals. Uh, so we can let the market catch up with the vision a little bit. And then the last two are be open and transparent and act with integrity. Those are just non-negotiable. This is a public project. We need the public to be involved. We need the public's trust, or it won't work. So. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Um, and right here. 
Oh, we already have one back there, sir. So uh, I, I just wanted to ask, so there's going to be a lot of common area. Are the roads going, are the, is the common area going to be part of some master planned association? Is it going to be turned over to a local municipality? Same as the roads, private, public. How, what's the plan on managing, taking care of it, making sure that 20, 30 years from now, it's still a gem for the area? Yeah, that's a great question and one of the, the pieces that we've been wrestling with a lot. So this site is all within Draper. It's all within Draper city limits. And, uh, and yet the point of the Mountain State Land Authority has all land use authority over the site. So we're working on an interlocal agreement with Draper. Draper will be providing the municipal services. So, you know, snow removal, fire, police, etc. The roads are going to be built uh, by the state and the developers, but we're working with Draper so that they can be comfortable with the standards that we're using so that they can take over maintenance and probably ownership of those roads at some point. Draper may manage a few of the bigger parks, but not all the linear parks and the smaller things. So we think that we're going to need to have a master association that will be responsible for maintenance of those public areas and for programming on the public areas. You know, bringing in uh, bands for concerts or uh, shows at a stage in the Central Park or, you know, firework displays, whatever they are. So it'll be a combination of those things. And over time, the state's role will diminish and you know the private sector and, and master associations will carry on but we want to make sure that uh, we've got agreements in place that protect the vision hi um i'm kind of i, I love hearing everything that you're saying it it rings vaguely familiar with kind of the, what was talked about with the airport and you know i I'm, might I'm be the only person in the room but I don't see that real clear vision even when I go to the airport or when I'm reading stuff. And so I look, is this going to be all master developed where people will be able to see the big long-term plan? Because otherwise everybody starts to put in their two cents and it's, it's you know, ran poorly right to start. So like I, maybe the airport will end up being everything that they claimed it was going to be, all this amazing technology and all the, you know, the latest and greatest and, and, you know, something for the world to see as, but obviously it's not that yet and there's not really a lot of belief that it's going to be that. I would just hate to see this same area. So it, will it have that master plan to start so everybody will see what's coming? That's a great question. And, you know, one of the things we learned from the airport is we're going to have everybody carry bags for a mile and a half walking wherever they go. So right. So you're talking about 15-minute walk for everybody. I'm like, now, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> well, let me just start by saying I'm, I'm talking about the aspiration. And we know things are going to develop over time. So phase one is not going to have everything. But we expect phase two and three and four to do it. You can go to our website right now, thepointutah.org, all one word, thepointutah.org, and see the framework plan. It's, uh, it's about 550 some odd pages of slides, but you can there see what that vision is for all aspects of the property, how the pieces fit together, 
And uh, if you don't have time to look at it all, there's a, a small little 120-page executive summary you can go through quickly. But so there is a vision for the site, and it's one that we take seriously. We think it'll evolve as better ideas come in, and you know the the public will be involved in evaluating some of those concepts, and the board will ultimately make decisions. But um, I can't tell you what's going to happen in 30 years, but I can tell you where we are now, and I've shared with you our intent, and it's real. And until the, the legislature tells us we have to do something differently, that's our plan. And so we're working in that direction. But it's a great question. I bet you know by now exactly how many acres it would take to build a professional football stadium with parking on this site. I just, do you, know, do you, want to, do you have a number? I don't have a number, but, uh, I, you know, we've, we've kind of done some studies. We've looked at stadiums. Uh, you know, kind of what's elsewhere. There hasn't been a particular proposal there, but I know there's been a lot of talk about something like that. And so I think if, if there were a proposal that came along, uh, we certainly would look at it. No, no number, though. No, well, I you, we've looked at baseball, and that's probably, again, they vary, but at, at a minimum 20 acres. That's, that'd be for a small stadium. Uh, but, but yeah, it could be done, and football would be bigger than that. They say if you build it, they will come, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that, sir. <laughs> Yankee Stadium's just like 25 acres, 26 acres, if I remember right, with no parking. You know, they use a great place, but you've got to be an elitist to pay for parking, and that costs about 13 grand a year to park close. Mm. Whereas a place like this, you can walk to the stadium, right? Exactly. And yeah. it gets worse every year. Yeah, it does. Well, um, there are anybody who's watched our, our meetings, and I'm sure you've got better things to do than watch our meetings. We've got some advocates on the board for professional sports in the area. Uh, so I think certainly something that's, that's on the table, there will be new ideas that will come in, and we'll have to make evaluations about how or whether to change the plans. But it's a good question. It's a small amount of land. Well, obviously a football stadium would be more than that. So that's, the, that's kind of that's bare minimum. But you're, you're right. It doesn't take the whole site. Yeah, without parking. One more question. Uh, this is such a unique opportunity, and I applaud the way that it's gone about in terms of taking a patient and long-term approach. My question is, once this is completed, what attributes of the point are you hopeful will resonate with people that will differentiate it from other projects that have happened in different parts of the country that, albeit, have not had as much state influence? It's probably a long list. And, you know, there are things that others have done that are really good. Uh, I would hope that looking back on this site, number one, we say things that happened at this site helped us create career opportunities that weren't otherwise available, world-class careers so that our kids can stay here and don't have to go somewhere else for that. Number two, I would hope that we would say this is a project that values Utah's natural areas and that we've done our part to show that we can create fewer emissions and that we can use less water in an arid desert environment. 
and that we can produce our energy in more thoughtful and clean ways. I hope that we would look at it in terms of the kind of community we create, that it's a place that's welcoming for all, um, a place where people at all socioeconomic levels have, uh, have a, a stake in the outcome and a place to live and be, uh, be part of the community. We don't want this to be a playground for the rich. So those are some of the general concepts. I'd love to see the transportation uh, evolve. Um, I'd love to see it be a gathering place where people from throughout our region can come together for events or just to have fun you know, at a nice restaurant and listen to a, a street performer on a plaza, something like that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Last observation or question, all joking aside, unless people stop innovating, um, I would imagine in the next 10 to 100 years, like there will be electric helicopters that are regulated and safe. And if that's a way you want to get to the point for a concert, have you guys factored in futuristic Jetson-style build-outs into this project? You know, we have. Uh, we've had some conversations with companies that are building the air taxis and things and saying, what do you need? Um, the Utah Department of Transportation is doing a lot of work right now on, you know, kind of those future transportation solutions and think that the location of this is perfect between the airports so you're not going to run into um, flight paths and, and create problems. So you're not going to see it in phase one, but... Uh, looking to, to build, for instance, parking garages in ways that have flat roofs so that you could land there in the future and access transportation on the ground. Things are going to change. We know they will. We've got a, a vision that we think is compelling and reflects the public views and values, but what's built is not consistent with what we've got on paper today. And so it's going to take this community effort for us to work together and decide, are the changes that are coming uh, in the best interest? How do we implement them? How do we continue to make this a cutting-edge project decades down the road and not just now? Yeah, that's the one thing I would not bet against is that um, people will stop innovating and, and building really cool things. Thank you so much, Alan, for taking the time. Appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to watching that thing actually get built. Thank you so much. Thank you.